I'm Damien. I was born and raised in Malacca, Malaysia. Some of you are, know where that is, uh, of Chinese, Malaysian, Portuguese, Creole descent. That is a mouthful. It's taken me a while to own all that, and some of you will understand what that means. I moved to Canada as a um, first-generation immigrant in 1992 at 18 years old. Um, the weather when I arrived was minus 23, never knew what winter was. In Toronto, was very bitter that people didn't warn us what that was like because, Toronto, because Malaysia was 33 and it was minus 23 when we arrived. Um, then I spent the next 18 years of my life in the cities of Toronto, uh, Kingston, Calgary, and Edmonton, completing an undergrad, meeting and marrying Darlene, uh, welcoming two children, attending seminary, and pastoring here for four years from 20. 14, when was that? 2011 to 2014, no, yeah. 2007, to, actually 2007 to 2011. <laughs> I'm showing my age as I try and problem solve this in front of everybody. Um, in that time, it was a blessing and privilege to have been part of several Alliance churches. Uh, and in 2011, we were deployed here to the Middle East where we served as Alliance International Workers for a decade until 2021. On March 2022, which last year in March, I stepped into the role of uh, International Vice President for our alliance, and that fills me with joy. Uh, I'm able to serve through overseeing all our global work in about 33 countries, people groups that do not yet know who Jesus is. So we are trying to replicate what happens here all across the world where our workers are, and I was quickly becoming aware as I stepped into the role, and maybe some of you have felt this, as you are in schools, as you are in work, as through the pandemic, uh, as I stepped into the role, I was becoming aware of the various challenging discussions surrounding missions. Why go overseas? Does it even matter anymore? Uh, actually, can you even do that? Can you even tell people about another role of you? Is that even valid? There are conversations, there is controversy, there are arguments about what mission is, what it's supposed to be, how it's been manipulated over the centuries as a tool for what we call Western colonization of indigenous peoples and their lands. And so, as I said, I was born and raised in uh, Malacca, Malaysia, which, by the way, was colonized by the Portuguese and then the Dutch and then the British for a total of 446 years all of whom they brought their own flavor of Christianity along with their ships and their soldiers and their weapons. So I say that, when I say this, it's actually literal for me. The blood of colonial Christianity runs through my veins. It runs right through. Now, I also know that it was missionaries who started the schools and churches that I attended for most of my upbringing. The high school I attended had the Latin motto, uh, OGS co OGS. The literal translation of that is do what you are doing, or the spirit of that phrase is focus on the work at hand, or do what you do best, or whatever you choose to do, do it well. And so, quite frankly, my country, my city, my life was qualitatively much better, much improved due to the presence of Franciscan brothers who dedicated their lives to serve God while taking on the vows of poverty, chastity, Obedience. Sounds a lot like Jesus to me. And so when you think of, a lot of folks like to make it black and white. There's a whole lot of gray in the coming of missionaries to countries. There's a whole lot of gray in that. 
And, while, and yes, while there were certain things bad that happened, there was, so, there was so much good. So many of the hospitals and so many of the schools and so many of the churches were set up by people who decided they wanted to follow Jesus and bring the gospel where Jesus isn't yet known. And so I wrote the following in the forward of this book, and I said this, There are many who would challenge our ongoing global missional engagement based on a current climate of mounting hostility between Protestant evangelicalism and broader Canadian culture. So as a counter-perspective, permit me to say this, our response to erroneous engagement is not disengagement, but rightful engagement. Now more than ever, we as a Canadian alliance need to look to prophetic exiles such as Joseph, Daniel, Esther, the disciples, Paul the Apostle, our Lord Jesus himself, men and women on the margins of their respective cultures, yet in courageous faith, lean into the task of making God known wherever they were. By the way, Jesus' primary, primary mission in the world was not to get rid of slavery, although there was slavery, was not to get rid of any other social injustices of the day, because they were many, he, he, he came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal who God was, to make the Father known. And so South Edmonton Alliance Church, all of you here, you're part of the Alliance Canada. This is our vision prayer. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come, come, transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused, people multiplying disciples anywhere. This is why we exist. So the title of today's talk is Missions, Why? This is why we exist. You are one of four to 500 Alliance churches in Canada. Your deep commitment to this vision is also evident through your giving. Last year, by the way, last year, SEAG was one of the top 10 giving churches to our global work. You can clap for yourself. So out of four to 500, you're in the top 10, which is fantastic. I thank God for that. And you're wondering, what is the Global Advance Fund? Well, that is a pooled fund that supports our workers and ministries worldwide and in Canada to share the gospel with people who haven't yet heard the name of Jesus. Thank you. We will not be able to do stuff in the places that we do it in without uh, your commitment. As I like to say, uh, the famous cultural theologians, uh, we all in this together. No one laughed. That's so hard. We're all in this together. No? Okay. <laughs> anyway, one of the more comprehensive books I've read over the years on the mission of God is probably Missional Church by uh, Daryl Guder. Uh, I highly recommend it, and in the opening pages, Gruder writes, The church of Jesus Christ is not the purpose or goal of the gospel, but rather its instrument and witness. God's mission embraces all of creation. God so loved the world is the emphasis of the beloved gospel in John 3.16. This does not mean that the church is not essential to God's work of salvation. It is. But it is essential as God's chosen people, we who are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. This is why we exist. To reveal a father to everybody else who doesn't, have, doesn't yet know him. And so, uh, maybe some of you are thinking, well, didn't this start with the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission didn't, yes, but it didn't start after Jesus' death. God's mission towards people groups of the earth 
nations, the word ethne in Greek, all nations, God's heart for the nations is a thread that is woven through the fabric of God's revealed word from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so it starts here about 2,000 years before Jesus was even born. It starts here. The Lord said to Abram, this is before his name was changed to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, uh, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Wouldn't be a, I mean, Abraham was like, wow, this is going to be pretty awesome. Uh, maybe it just stops here and stops with me and my family. And then God goes, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I do not think that Abraham had a clue as to the extent to what God was saying. And I think sometimes God does that in our lives. Like he does something or he says something to us and he calls us into something and we go, okay, we say yes, but I'm pretty sure God doesn't reveal the next 50 years or the next 10 or even the next four. Because if he did, we would say actually no. But he just gives us that next step. And this was Abram's next step. Now you're thinking, okay, well, what else in the Old Testament do we have? Well, then about a thousand years before Jesus was born, remember Solomon? Right? David had a son, Solomon, and Solomon built the greatest empire that Israel had ever known, and then he built a temple for the worship of God. He built his house, and then he built the temple. By the way, it took him double the time to build his house and to build the temple. I think he should have reversed that, double the time to build a temple and build his house, but I'm digressing. Anyway, in Second Chronicles, Solomon is, is saying a prayer uh, to dedicate the temple where all Israel, for the first time in their history, they would have a temple to worship the God of the universe. They are a chosen people. And up till now, a temple had not been built. David wanted to build a temple, but God said, you will not be the one to build a temple for me, but your son will. However, you can prepare for the temple to be built. So David prepared for it. He left inheritance for it. He collected gold. He collected silver. He collected everything so that Solomon could build it. And so Solomon built this temple. And then Solomon had this line in his prayer. Towards the end of that prayer, Solomon says this, then hear from heaven when people pray, your dwelling place. Notice Solomon just built a temple. And yet he says, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. God will not be dwelled, God will not be dwelling in a physical place. It will be a place where God's people come and worship him, but hear from heaven your dwelling place. And then he says this, um, and do whatever who? The foreigner asks of you. All the way back then already, God's, Solomon had answered, okay, this is going to be a place where foreigners can come. Do what the foreigner asks of you so that what? So that the Jews or so that the Hebrews of all people may know your name and hear you? It says so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Even back then when the first temple was built in Jerusalem, and then we fast forward 700 years before Jesus' birth. The Jews are in exile for disobeying God. Remember the exile? They, they, you, they, they were conquered by the Babylonians, sent into exile. You know, they were pillaged by their enemies. Why, were they, why did that happen? Because God warned them because of idolatry. Remember the idolatry that Israel had engaged in? And Solomon, by the way, Solomon was a person that built a temple, dedicated a temple, and by the way, he led Israel down that road. He had 700 wives and 300, 700 concubines, 300 wives. 
by the time all this is said and done. And they are in exile. They are in exile. They have lost their home. They have lost their temple. They don't think God loves them anymore. And then Isaiah says this, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? In the middle of the most destitute of situations for Israel, God is speaking to them a message of restoration. And you would think Israel would, okay, this is just about Israel. He's going to restore us. He's going to restore our fortunes. And then God says this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. In the middle of being among the Gentiles, while they are in exile, in Isaiah, God says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's the Great Commission right there. While they are in exile, while they've been pillaged, while they have no future, no hope, nothing else to look forward to, and God says that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth, a light for the Gentiles. By the way, if they weren't committed to be a light for the Gentiles, none of us would be in this room. It was because there's a whole commitment of folks that were being a light to the Gentiles that we are all here in the first place. And then we fast forward to Jesus. And these are the more common verses we quote when it comes to world mission. And it says this, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the most famous one, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we take this and we go, okay, this, no, the, the breath of Scripture, Jesus is, G, Jesus is a continuity of what God started. And by the way, He was there at creation, right? Yes, physically He showed up on earth, but Father, Son, and Spirit have existed eternally as one. And so after Jesus ascends to heaven, his disciples recount what he said. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Remember where we read this? Two slides ago. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. And now it shows up here in Acts. I have made you a light of the, for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This isn't something new. This was something that was started all the way back at creation, all the way to the call of Abraham, and then re God reminded His people even while they were in exile, and there is a continuity in God's heart for the world. It's not something that's made up only in this last hundred years or with the, mod with the father of modern missions, William Carey. It goes all the way back to creation. And then the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, 8, the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Paul, the missionary, the greatest missionary to the Gentiles when the church started, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, and he recalls Abraham's call. Remember, all nations will be blessed through you, all the way back then. And then we get to the book of Revelation. So we see what's happened in Genesis, and then we get to Revelation, we're thinking, okay, this is a grand vision that God gives John as he's on the island of Patmos. Okay? And John's probably going to die there, and God gives him this grand vision to say, okay, write this out. And then towards the end of it, or two-thirds into it, then he says, then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel, 
think about this. The gospel, the good news that we know about is eternal. There was no beginning. There was no, it is eternal. It is always, God's heart for the missions has been there. God's heart for the nations has been there for all eternity. We know about it now. Some of us known about it for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, or 100 years, but it has been eternal. It has always been in the heart of God for reaching out for revelation of himself to creation, to his people. The eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Genesis all the way to Revelation, the thread of God's redemptive plan of humanity is woven through His revealed Word. In the last two months, I have uh, had to go to the Middle East, uh, to Spain, to Amsterdam, to Laos, to Thailand, to Toulouse, to Paris, to Fez, to Marrakesh, to Casablanca um, in, in two months. And and to see what God is doing, and then to push forward some of the work or to help push forward some of the strategic initiatives we have in these countries. So in the Middle East, you know, as I sat there and I watched, and I hear of stories of Muslim background believers trying to continue to push forth in their faith. And as we were in Europe watching a family that needed to escape because, if, because they had already been persecuted for their faith, and now there was a, a, a death warrant on their family, and so there were two generations of believers, and a family of six was there, and then there was a 12 and 14-year-old sisters, and they went up on stage, and they were leading us all in worship. I couldn't sing anymore. At that point, I was just in tears, because they said, you know, we want to do this for the rest of our lives, and we know, we, we knew what it was to, to be in death, but now what, we know what it's like to be in life. And we will sing for, forever to the end of our days because whatever death we encounter because of our faith, it's not really death. We just get to see Jesus. I was, I was interviewing a 16-year-old on her faith, and I, I said, if you know that you're going to die, because if they find out that you're a believer and you know you're going to die, why do you still believe and she said, well, first I want to be a worship leader. I'll never leave my country to go to Europe because I need to, if I do, then who stays here for my people? But then she said, um, she said, I already know what death was like. I'm now alive. So physical death is, not, is, is just a passage into time with Jesus. So I said, well, do you not fear death? She said, I was already dead. I'm alive now. And as we were in Southeast Asia, I was witnessing the amazing work of God through some of our anti-trafficking projects that we've been privileged to be a part of, which is the rescuing of young girls and women from the most horrendous circumstances and how God is bringing restoration and healing and purpose through holistic gospel ministry. And if not for God's people going to be a light for the Gentiles to the ends of the earth, that horrendous reality continues for these young men, for these young women. Um, and some folks are saying, well, you know, how are we moving ahead in our work around the world in our strategic initiatives? And I wrote this. I said, you know, we are not a people of missional strategy with a sprinkling of the Spirit. So I, I, I've shown you why we do what we do biblically, 
But here's how we go about some of that work. We are not a people of missional strategy with a sprinkling of the Spirit. We are people of a missional Spirit who directs our strategies. God is a missional God. The Father, the Son, and Spirit, they are missional. On that note, we will not be apologetic nor shrink away from a kingdom mission seeking to bring about transformation, renewal, justice, equality, or hope to any one of the dozens of communities in which our international workers are active. Is it our purpose to influence the cultures of people groups who have yet to encounter Christ? Some people say, do you want to go change culture? Do you want to go and bring, and I will say, absolutely, unequivocally, if those cultures are also the ones marginalizing the poor and the internally displaced, selling their women and children into the sex trade, or expelling whole people groups based on their race or religion in Canada or around the world. So let me be clear by saying this. All culture on earth is broken. The only culture that is not is kingdom culture. And so when we walk into a space, we recognize that Canadian culture is broken in its various aspects, just as Middle Eastern or Southeast Asian or any other culture is broken because of the shame, because of the power, because of any other man-made broken ideology that's brought into it. The only culture that is whole is kingdom culture. And so when I say, are you, do you intend to influence the culture? Absolutely. Absolutely. We will not shy away from that. And then I go, okay, but there's no way we can do this without this next part. And so this is the how. In Luke 24, Jesus, Jesus says this, and then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Side note, this is a free one, not a part of the sermon, but I'm just going to throw it in there. There is no understanding of scriptures without Jesus opening our minds. We have had a lot of people, and I've met a lot of really, really smart people who study the scriptures, but there is no reverence, and there is no desire to know God. There is only a desire to tear apart what's been written, to critique it, but there is no understanding of the Scriptures without an opening of the mind by Jesus. And so then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He says, you are witnesses of these things. By the way, in the Greek, the word that we have in English, martyr, comes comes from the Greek uh, marturio, which we also translate witness. In some places, we translate witness, and we don't ever translate martyr, and I think that's a political reason we do that. We don't want to freak people out when we say, hey, you're going to be a martyr for Jesus. No, you're going to be a witness. But in the Greek, there is an understanding that you would be a witness unto death. This is why you live. This is the reason we wake up in the morning, so that we can be witnesses of God's plan of love and redemptive uh, plan, and, and all that for humanity, right? I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus says, something big's coming. I'm going to need you to change the world. You're going to have to tell everybody about what you're going to do, and you're possibly going to die for doing this. And by the way, 11 out of 12 of them died martyrs' deaths. But don't do anything until power comes from on high. And so on one occasion, we read in Acts, as while he was still eating with them, so Jesus rose from them, they spent, I think, a few days with them, maybe 40 days, and he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, 
which he told him about in John already, and he told him about in Luke, and that you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of ways this has been interpreted and how it comes out and how it needs to work out. So we know that I'm, I'm not about to try and explain how this happens for everybody in different theological traditions, but we do know this. Jesus said, don't do it until I send you the Holy Spirit and that we would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that works differently for a lot of different folks. And then... They gathered around him. you got to love this, though. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus just told them about changing the world. Jesus just told them, you might be my witnesses unto death. And here they're like, hey, Jesus, um, so are we going to be like in charge? Are we going to come back into power? Are you going to restore the kingdom, i.e., are you going to restore power back to Israel like we were at Solomon's time? Still no idea. Still no clue because the Spirit hadn't yet come. They still, they still, you know, they see Jesus rise from death. They see Him with them. They saw Him crucified. They were destitute for three days while, you know, being in fear of all the authorities. And then He comes up from the dead, has a meal with them, shows them, talks to them about things, tells them the Spirit is coming. They still don't get it. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Hey, when are we going to be in power? When are we going to be generals again? When are we going to be the ones in charge because we hate the Romans? Isn't it amazing? Jesus came, spent three years, talked about all kinds of stuff. Not once did he talk about overthrowing their oppressors. And that was the primary thing on their minds, was overthrowing their oppressors. And yet he never made mention to it. He said, Lord are, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? He could have spent hours and hours and hours, but he's like, you know what? I'm not going to waste my breath. So he says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that my father has set by his own authority. He's like, maybe, maybe not, but it's not for you to know. Maybe Israel will come back and maybe there'll be, but that's not important. That's not the reason why. But, and here's the but, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He just repeats himself. It's going to happen. You can't fathom that. You can't understand the extent of which you are going to be filled with the Father's Spirit. You will not have... Because you... Before you're filled with the Spirit, you have no clue what it's like. And then once you're filled, you go, oh my goodness. What just happened? You see, this is why we exist, folks. The church exists to bear witness to the suffering, to the death, to the resurrection of Jesus. And in that way, by the way, we pick up a cross, we suffer along with Him, because there's no resurrection without Good Friday. Everybody wants Easter Sunday, but they don't want to go through Good Friday. There is, no good, there is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. And Jesus was very clear about that as well. And so they were waited. He ascends into heaven. They're like, okay, what in the world do we do now? Jesus is gone, gone. Gone for good. What do we do? And so 120 of them gather in a room. We call it the upper room. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
still praying. Not just the 12 disciples, by the way. There's a whole group of folks, right? Men, women, children, 120. They describe them in the upper room. Maybe it's upstairs here. We can go up there and see if there's 120 people up there. But 120. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Just try and imagine this. Feels like a hurricane. Feels like a tornado coming through, blowing through. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, adult nor child. You imagine 120 tongues just... I, I just try and imagine. Sometimes I think we get stuck in our ways of doing things because we don't have sanctified imagination when we read the Scriptures. And so pray for sanctified imagination when you read this and you go, 120 people. Imagine like everybody in this room and the Spirit of God comes and blows like a violent wind. I mean, some of us here, if a violent wind came through, we'd try and close the window. <laughs> but imagine we came through and it, it, it rested on each person. They, seen what, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. All of them. Nobody was excluded. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, let me be clear. The goal of these verses and the goal of this chapter wasn't the tongues. A lot of people get caught up on the tongues. But why did Jesus say that they will be filled by the Spirit in the first place? He said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses unto death in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In Edmonton, in Alberta, in all of Canada, North America, and to the ends of the earth. That's the how. And so I'm just going to ask us all to stand. Um, if you want to feel free to lay your hands out, lay your hands out. If not, that's fine. I'm going to pray a blessing and a asking of um, God's Spirit to fall upon us. By the way, there is no, there is no gospel ministry. There is no witnessing. There is no great commission without the power of the Spirit. No strategies, no plans, no budget. They had zero budget. <laughs> I just realized they didn't have a budget when they tried to go out and change the world, but they had God's Spirit. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Jesus, um, we need another Pentecost like the one that you uh, talked about all those years ago when all your people gathered in one, and they had no clue, no clue what was going to happen. But you did. And so for some of us in this room, the coming of the Spirit means a better job. For some of us in this room, the coming of the Spirit means, uh, you know, maybe my life is filled with less suffering or less pain, or I get better health. 
or maybe you know it, it means that the church would have greater impact on society and we have our, we would get more power to influence po- politics once again and yet so clear as i as i read this and as i i, as I see what you gave the spirit for it's for uh, the witnessing of your people unto the suffering unto the death unto the resurrection and the preaching of repentance and salvation and so come holy spirit come come lord jesus come for this reason i kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. All of us here, we derive our name from the Heavenly Father. Yes, we have earthly fathers, but all of us here, we derive our name from the Heavenly Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. In the deepest recesses of your heart, may you understand the power that rose Jesus from the dead. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, not in works, not in not in legality, not in your name, but I pray that all of us here, being rooted and established in love, may have power, Holy Spirit power, to grasp how wide and long, and Paul runs out of words. (laughs) So he says, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Your head can only know so much. Our hearts are meant to know so much more. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure, that all of our beings, from head to toe, your mind, your heart, your soul, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness. Imagine this, all of Jesus can live in us. And more, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, and that you might go out and proclaim all that fullness to your friends, to your family, to the workers. There is one reason God left His disciples and God leaves the church on this earth, is to bear witness unto Him. That you may be filled to all measure, all the fullness of God that the world might know. I pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.